0: My guest today is Roger Ray Bird. Roger has endured, faced, and overcome more life trauma and challenges than many of us would have in several lifetimes. On top of that, he's had a successful corporate career, been a professional mountain bike racer, speaker, and now has created a set of tools to help others face and overcome their own challenges. And he's called it the Cool Shit Toolkit. He's passionate about helping others, as one of his personal guiding principles. So he's generously agreed to share his time with us. He's an amazing dude. In fact, I'm looking forward to what's gonna unfold this evening, because Roger and I, I say we know each other, we've known each other, Roger, for now a month basically trying to put this together. So it's not like we we go way back. I stumbled across Roger and his story online. I'm like, I gotta have this dude on. He'll get into the good shit, the bad shit along the way, but he's got an incredible story to share. And I think a lot of points that we can
1: take away. So welcome, man. Great to have you on this evening. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you reaching out and following up. And yeah, you know, I think. We've only known each other for several weeks, but we've already had a couple great conversations where we should have been recording that thing. It's just one of those relationships, and and thank you for for finding me and reaching out. We might have only known each other for a few weeks, but I think from the orientation of our lives now, it feels like you know, we're almost brothers. It's like, we're doing the same thing. We're thinking a lot of the same stuff and whatever we're not totally aligned on. I think we complement each other. So I'm super excited. Thank you.
0: Yeah, man, for sure. And the alignment comes from, Hey, we're seeking our story, right? We're, we're trying to write the best story we can. And the best to clarify is the best for each one of us. It's always different. We all have different experiences, different lives, different chapters in our stories. Some are dark, some are bright. And I will say, since this is a podcast, you can't see, just before we jumped on, Roger stood up and shared his shirt. So tell us what the shirt is, and people have probably heard of the brand, Live a Great Story. It's a brand he just informed me of, duh, I should have known it. Let's kick it off that way. Like When you think of Live a Great Story, what does that mean to you?
1: Yeah. You know, I didn't wear this shirt on accident, so that's fun. But I got to back up for a second, Brian, because one of the things you said, and I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just trying to clarify my position so that it can help people think and dig deep and live their life their way. When you say... People are seeking their story. I don't try to seek myself. If people use that word to their advantage, hallelujah. But for me, seeking is striving, and seeking is struggle, and seeking is maybe harder than it has to be. And I've been down that path, you know, kind of on an Eastern philosophy route. I try to settle And not seeking, but I totally agree, writing my own story. I'm writing it, I'm developing, I'm forming the chapters and the paragraphs as I go along. Hmm. I
0: think that's a great observation. But let me ask you this, when you say not seeking and not struggling, I always think part of the story, I think people, I'll say maybe miss, is... From the struggle can come a great story. And I don't mean struggle. We'll get into some of this, the trauma and stuff. But you know what I'm saying is, yeah. if you're not struggling, some people insulate themselves from the struggle.
1: Well, you know, we'll get into it. But I have a pile of trauma in my path, in my wake, as tall as Mount Everest. For me, it's not being complacent. I face my trauma. I stare down my struggle, I dig deep, and I uncover it, and I strip away the layers that try to have it hide from me, and most of that is the lies I tell myself, right? Hmm. It's kind of like my podcast name, Lies Between Us. But I think a lot of people, they don't face their fears, they don't face their trauma, They don't do the work. They don't dig deep. They don't stop. They don't stop. They don't pause. They stay busy. And when you stay busy all the time, you can't spend that quality time with yourself. I have spent probably between six and 8,000 hours just sitting by myself, thinking, writing, typing, and figuring shit out because otherwise... My emotional brain takes over, and even though my physical brain is trying to tell me it's not so bad, my emotional brain is running out of control, and I can't process my direction in life the way I would like to. I think a lot of us are stuck in that same damn place. Whether it's through
0: the traumas that you went through, or not even having necessarily I'll say those extreme traumas. But like you said, staying busy instead of sitting in it, you mentioned it 10,000 hours. It's that that's the proverbial 10,000 hours to become good at something. You have to spend time sitting in it and just being with it. And it's hard. It rips off the bandaid, exposes things. But I think there's some clarity through that, and you could speak to it more than I ever could because you've been through more of it and you spent more of the time, expand upon that. Going through that process, like you said, is a time-consuming effort. But the gains, the value that has become part of your story, what's it done for you? It allowed me to live.
1: I'd be dead. I would be dead if it weren't for my ability to stop, dig deep, look inside myself deeper than I ever have before, face what's down there, and try to be bigger than my pain. And then once I grow even a quarter inch bigger than my pain and stand a little taller over my pain, then I can march forward then I can walk forward or then I can sit and relax. Everybody has something that they would like to change about themselves. But a lot of times, like I said, we stay too busy to really put it in order to first document it, clearly articulate what, we're, what the hell we're talking about. And then what are you gonna do about it? So a lot of people hope and wish and pray for a better future but show me right what are you doing and you don't necessarily need to have this mapped out you know project management chart you just need to have the beginning of a plan to get yourself either out of where you don't want to be or at least moving in a direction that gets you closer to where you want to be because Sometimes we want to be somewhere else, or we don't want to be where we are. But sometimes those wants are needs. And if it's a need, and you're not taking the time, that can be self-destructive. And I've seen it. I've been self-destructive. I've lost friends and family members to all kinds of different situations. So, you know, this is for real. And... I grew up different, I, you know, I grew up non-traditional and there's a lot there, but I've seen a thing or three, but I'm not so tough. I haven't seen it all, I haven't been everywhere, but I dealt with my own shit and we gotta face it. We gotta face it and we gotta stare it down and we gotta try to be bigger, otherwise it gets its claws in and it holds us down. And even when we think we have it at bay, that trauma grows, it festers. And eventually, whether you're going through some trouble at work or in a home relationship or health problems or whatever, COVID, there are outside conditions that kick your ass. And if you're still trying to deal with this other trauma internally, and you're battling your monsters, but you're really not battling them because you're just hiding from them. Right, it's going to catch up with you, and that ruins people. The age group with the highest amount of suicide is men and women over fifty. Do you know that? No, I, I, it's I, I, I. It's crazy. It's crazy because you know a lot of it. What they say is, you get to a point in your life, and you're like, look back and say, "Well, I didn't really do everything I wanted to do." And it bums people out and then they might lose their job and they can't restart their career and they might get divorced and the kids are out of the house and all this stuff is raining down upon them the age group i didn't know that of suicide even if you don't take
0: it to that extreme what interests me and and listening to other people's stories is that process like you're never going to get to do it all that's just the fact of life but i think there's something to be said if you're out there trying peeling back what's important from the bullshit instead of just being busy and I get guilty of it too just busy for a number of reasons I think chief among them is because there's that overriding fear if I'm not busy then I have to face myself I have to sit with myself to figure out what is important and you also mentioned through your challenges and you working through your own stuff, though, I thought it was really interesting. You said, if I can just make a little progress, it isn't the big leaps and bounds. It isn't the aha moments, but it's spending the time to say, hey, I moved this much closer. For people who don't know, Rogers, Rogers are a pro mountain bike racer. Being in races making times, doing those things are part, have been part of your life. You understand that. And it's not about always the finish line, but getting closer to it kind of, right?
1: I think it's a progression, you know, because right now I don't need to do anything else. Well, there's one thing that I'm trying to do. If I have a so-called bucket list, I have one thing, but I have done it all. I've done enough. I've done everything I need to do, everything, except this one thing, which is like a little project-based. You know, for me, yes, there's plenty of things I try to do. There's improvements I try to make, but it's not always improvements. It's not always what percentage better can I be. A lot of times, lots and lots of times, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. So I start from the other end. I say, well, this is what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to spend two hours a day on Facebook, just surfing around. I'm not going to eat these types of foods. I'm not going to stay up too late. I'm not going to do all this stuff. And so sometimes I have a plan and I can see where I want to go. And you know, I have metrics and a lot of, going from X to Y by when, almost every single day, I also write down what am I not going to do today? And that's powerful because if you think about it, what are you going to try to not do today? That's a whole different spin, dude. I love it. The, the, you get a
0: long list of bullshit you realize you spend time doing.
1: M- my, my number one thing in life is truth. What I find is when you start making plans and you start having goals and dates and measurements and you have all these metrics and just to say it's a metric, it's a number, it's not bad or wrong, but it's just a number. It's where I am. I just want to know where I am objectively. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I just look at it and say, okay, here I am. Here's where I want to go. Here's where I don't want to go. It covers all the bases. You know, there's a lot of other things to it. I mean, I have 30 personal tools that I've developed over the last 30 years that keep me on track because I need that structure. Because that's just, I mean, if you know my history, that's I need it, right? I can't, yeah. I can't just wing it. But, you know, getting back to the Live A Great Story, you know, Live A Great Story brand, is like a t-shirt company and they make stickers and stuff. I've been working really, really hard for like the last 20 years, really leaning into figuring shit out for myself, not figuring shit out for the world, but figuring shit out for me. When I saw this Instagram post and it said, live a great story, that phrase, that logo, that brand mark just spoke to me. It's like, stay on track and have a good ending to my life. If you think about that position, that's my story. I'm living my story. I'm not writing my story, I'm not plotting my story, I'm living it. I've been, you know, I've been around the block a time or three and you know, I've traveled all over the world multiple multiple times and I've done lots of stuff and I've made a huge difference in the world and after a while, your priorities change and you need to rest in what are you doing right now to, to live life your way. And so I've developed that book of tales and adventures and lessons and loves. And it's an amazing collection. I'm very happy with all of it.
0: And. So. And we will put it down because Roger is referring to his memoir here that he's working on. But when that goes live, I think you mentioned in your podcast, you're shooting for the end of this year, right? To have that published?
1: Yeah. You know, the first step of writing my life memoir is on Christmas 2020, I was supposed to deliver my life memoir to my children. I have two kids. My... Commitment at the beginning of 2020 is: I'm writing my life story. I'm going to have it published under the Christmas tree this year, 2020. So I stopped working. I turned off all my volunteer work. I resigned from the boards, all the stuff I did. I, I wrote over 1,500 hours in 2020. There was a, a glitch with my schedule. And I couldn't finish it. And it's kind of on hold at the moment because I'm in Wyoming caring for my uncle who had a stroke and I'm his caregiver. So it's a 24-7 job. It's tough. So I don't have time
0: to write. And if you guys haven't heard Roger's podcast, we'll, we'll link to it. It's called The Lies Between Us, which is a great name. He has some really great conversations. So you can really learn a lot. I would encourage you to go. Uh, linked to to that one. The folks you've been talking to and, and their stories, which a lot of us, frankly, have not necessarily experienced, all of us, that deep trauma. But that's not to say that we can all be teachers to each other. That's the important thing is if we take time to listen to each other's stories, yours is different than mine, um, just like your podcast is different. But if we take time, I think we can all gain from it. And it makes us collectively as a society, as humans, I think stronger. And that's one of the things I'm trying to do, frankly, is just pause. It's the whole thing, like you said, stay, pause and take the time to listen to each other's stories because there's commonalities. A buddy of mine, I think this is probably the third time I've mentioned it, but I love it. Michael Corley said, We're always a step ahead or two steps ahead of somebody else on their journey of their story, and we can help them just like you do a lot. And we shouldn't take that lightly or discount because a lot of people say, "I, I don't know anything. I do this, but I'm not an expert. You don't have to be an expert. You just have to be living your story and somebody else can gain from it. And you've done that, I think, to a great degree. So I commend you. But I also want to go back to the kids again on your episode 13 and talking about a story for anyone that has kids out there. I'll fill you in what Roger was referring to is he uses the term time bombs, and it's basically writing down your worst fears. It's interesting because I just launched a podcast and referenced that in a different way. One of my Monday nuggets was those of us as parents, our first fear. And as soon as Roger said that, I was was not in a place to write. I was out on the road, but I thought of my kids and the kids passing before you. And sure enough, Roger reiterated the same thing. I think a lot of parents feel that. I think it's a great idea to be able to write that stuff down because it does something for you. I think it's helpful. So why, why, the, why writing the time bombs and especially like I said with the kids, I immediately thought of the same
1: thing. Ed, well, yeah, yeah, thanks. Well, for me, I have to write things down. I have to because I have all these thoughts and all these feelings swirling around in my head and swirling around in my heart and swirling around in my soul, wherever that is. And I can't make sense of them until I write them down because writing them down as my fingers do the clack clack on the keyboard or my pen writes it on paper or I speak it, those three things are my truth filter. And to me, again, the emotional brain versus the physical brain. The emotional brain wins. And the emotional brain is not truthful all the time. And so when I write things down, I can look at them or I can listen to them as I speak them and say, is that how I really feel? Is that the truth? And so my number one, you know, value, I have eight documented personal values. And the number one, you know, value is I try to practice truth, honesty, and trust in everything I do, period. So I'm constantly trying to hold myself accountable to my own personal truth. I had deep trauma when I was four years old. My mother was mentally ill. She struggled with her mental health. She was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. My father thought my mother was going to kill us. He like hid the scissors and knives for two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And when I was seven years old, she got committed, locked up, gone. Never came back to the family. And then I dropped out of high school when I was 16. I was a hardcore drug drug addict when I was 13. I was a junkie for years. I overdosed twice in Baltimore City. And all that stuff flowing around, it's too much. Too much stuff fills your head and fills your heart, and fills your soul, and it keeps you from living the life you might desire or could live, it it sticks. It, it holds you back. You're stuck. And so I had to write it down. So right before my first divorce, I've been divorced twice, right before my first divorce, I really started writing stuff down. You know, this was 19... 19- when was it? It was 2003. And I made this huge spreadsheet of everything that I was unhappy about. I called it unhappiness.xls back when things were XLS. And it was why or how am I unhappy, right? And I did it and every little thing. And I developed a plan. Like, what am I going to do about it? If I can do something about it, I couldn't do everything. I couldn't do something about everything. But the time bombs really came when time after time, I got surprised, my guard was down and something happened. It took my legs out and I got stuck. And I had to map out, well, what are the worst things left? There's already been some tough stuff. What are the worst things left in my life that could take my legs out from underneath me? This does not work for everybody, Brian. This is really hard. And just saying, what is going to happen if one of my kids dies? What am I going to do? And I have like four or five or six things that I would do in order, right? I wrote them down. I have them. I could rattle them off right now. What's the second worst thing? You know, my, my ex-wife dying. What's the third most worst thing? What's the third worst thing? My step-grandmother dying you know, and just keep going. But it's one, two, three, four, five things that I would do. It's actually A, B, C, D of each item. Here's what I would do if this thing happened. Well, I hope my kids don't die before me, but if they do, I would be a basket case. And I don't want to be a basket case. I've done that way too many times. I've been stuck. So I make it very visible. I create transparency in my own life and I hold myself accountable to truth. And that's where it came from because I know for a fact that a few of those things on my time bombs list, a few of those 11 things, they are going to happen and they are going to wreck me at least for a few days, but I've already kind of faced it. And we talk about facing your, your troubles and trying to really tear it apart and dissect it and be, be bigger than it. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to accept my reality that there's a possibility my children will die. How am I going to handle that if it happens? Well, a lot of people say, oh my God, that's so dark and morbid. Why would you ever do that? Well, it's cleansing to me and it helps me because I'm more prepared and not less prepared and I agree,
0: there's different things that work for different folks. I even think that concept that you've done could work for a lot of people. I know once you said it, and I just listened to it the other day, I want to do it. But as I thought through it, it's like one of those ideas that when you write it down, it sits there in front of you and you face it, not that you want to happen, and and like you said, not that it's going to make it easier, but it prepares you at least, and it allows you to deal with it. And I also think we have a, I know I do, I'm guilty of this, a, a tendency to, I'll just use the kids example, protect the kids because of our own fears. And we do a, a huge disservice to them because to use a psychological phrase, projecting our fears onto somebody else. And the last thing we want to do is do that to our kids. Or do that in another situation and you hold your story
1: back or you hold their story back by your own fears brian it's truth okay what's my time bombs list my time bombs list is a truthful reality of what might happen so that i know right so that i know what if my house burns down what am I going to do? What if somebody steals my identity? What if one of my kids dies? What if my best friend gets sick or whatever? What if my truck breaks down? What if my cats die? What if my dog gets run over? Yeah. And keep going. But to me, it's just truth. And so through all my shit, I just want to look at things clearly and speak clearly and drama be damned. So my memoir, which will probably be 600 pages plus, all my stories, all the trauma, all the things that they missed or didn't know or might ask me, because what if I die tomorrow? And they have have a question. Well, I wanna give them that. I wanna give them more information rather than less. I wanna help them, that's my job right you ask any parent what's your job in life well they might get distracted and they might have a you know a different mindset but to me it's to produce pretty decent human beings out of my children i want to help my kids live their best life and i want to help my kids try to be good people and a lot of it is it's the whole lead by example right yeah do as i do and not as i say well <laughs> Got to pick, you know, you got to walk that line. And at the base of that is truth. So truth that if you don't mind sharing, you mentioned
0: truth was number one of eight and you called them your, um, personal values, personal values. values.
1: Yeah. Personal values.
0: Would would you mind sharing those with us? And, And what was it a reason why there was eight or just that's, what you ended up with.
1: It was a progression. So what I did is I started writing my personal values so that I could put my life in order and put my priorities first and work on first things first. And if stuff was just swirling around in my head, again, it's not truth. So I wrote it down. And I think the first time I wrote it, the long list was like 15. And it's just, been refined and recrafted, but probably for the last six years, it's pretty much unchanged. Yeah. Let me just pull it out and I'll rip it off real quick. Yeah, please. So I have eight personal values and they're written down and I actually have a scorecard. So I score myself quarterly every three months on my personal values. Like how am I doing? And not to say I'm wrong or bad, but just so I have a number. And I score myself one to 10. Number one, value. There is truth, honesty, and trust in everything I do. Number two, find and create at least moments of peace, calm, and beauty in my life. Number three, be a good and supportive dad even when they don't like it or when we are at odds. Number four, have fun doing my work and make it good work that I can be proud of. Number five, maintain an athletic baseline throughout my life no matter the circumstances. Number six, maintain clean and organized surroundings at home and work. Number seven, help others all I can and give back whenever possible. And when giving, give more. Number eight, live, work, and play with fun and honest people period. Wow. Because to me, you know, the one, not the one, but as an example, number five, right? Maintain an athletic baseline throughout my life, no matter the circumstances. Well, a lot of people have this passion and drive and happiness and playfulness in their life when they participate in their hobbies, when they're able to do their cool thing. Whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And I have found through my experience, because I do a lot of coaching with people, especially young people with drug addiction or mental health issues, a lot of people lose their hobbies because they think they're too busy. And then the rat race of busyness takes over and it doesn't let go. And until you can get back to living as you have been at your best, it's hard to find that sometimes. And for a lot of people, I'm like, you know, what's the coolest thing you do? Like this one guy I was working with, he's like, well, I'm a drummer. I have this amazing drum set in my basement and I've soundproofed the walls and I have all these different sticks and all these fancy cymbals. I'm like, well when was the last time you played? He's like, Oh, five years ago. <laughs> I'm like, does your wife hate it? Do your neighbors, you know, stand it? Oh yeah. That's fine. I just don't have time and I'm unmotivated. And it really bums me out. I'm like, that's on you. Yeah. And, and sometimes we, we throw away pieces of ourselves and we don't realize we're screwing ourselves up. And
0: how much you're screwing yourself up in your story, because like you said, how, how many people nowadays live on the hamps they jump on and you just start, you, you spin faster and faster. I always go back to the kid thing. What did you love to do? What brought you joy as a kid? I think that list, your list, whether it's eight, five, and it's personal, it doesn't have to be the magic number. Is not eight, but that's your compass. It sounds like that's your compass and it guides you through that. It creates the truth. It creates It prioritizes your life in such a way to say, hey, it makes it really easy for me to set aside to say no to things even. I preface it this way, Roger, is if we're not clear on what those truths are in that value system for ourselves, we don't know what to say yes and what to say no to. Because no is not a bad thing. Because every yes, there's always, you're saying no to something else. Or if you're saying no, you're saying, right? Hopefully, just,
1: it's, hopefully. It's, a lot of us say yes too much. And then we just shoot ourselves in the foot because we've overcommitted. Right. But that's what I'm we saying is it makes it easier.
0: It, it makes it easier to say no to the things that aren't important, that don't align with those eight things or five things or whatever yeah. it is for you. It clarifies things.
1: Yeah, you know, what I, what I would say to that real quick is the fact that when I was trying to make life decisions and I didn't have things figured out or written down, I wasn't sure. And I would make some decisions under pressure, time, money, logistics. But when I really dug into it, I wasn't dealing with truth. I wasn't being truthful with myself when I tried to go forward and saying, well, this is my number one thing. You know, it's funny that there's research on this. And I think the ideal number for values is closer to five or six. And I've tried to trim it down because ideally, I could just rattle them off. And I pretty much could right now. I mean, I read them from the page, but I can pretty much rattle them off. But it's easier to rattle off four or five than it is seven or eight. And then if you can rattle them off and know them off the cuff, then it helps you in your everyday life to make decisions. And so when I'm faced with something, there's been 10 times in the last 16 months that I was facing a decision and I hesitated and I paused and I'm like, what am I doing? And I said, truth first. Oh, now I know what to do because I just, it was a gut check for me. When I write stuff down, I use it as a tool. Like I just don't write it down and forget about it. It's in a binder, it's laminated. I have a scorecard that goes with it. And that's way too anal and spreadsheet A-type for a lot of people. But there's a balance there somewhere, dude. I think if people sit there and spend the time and write down what's most important to them or what they're most afraid of, or what are the things they're not gonna do, or what are the longer, longer list of rules for living, because I have that too, it's 62 items, which I call my opus, right? My master work, and it's categorized. I read that every morning just to reorient myself and, and ground myself and it helps me start the day. But regardless, you can sit there and do all the time and write all this down, that's easy. That's the easy part, right? Just writing it down, that's the easy part. Then you gotta go do it. So until you develop structure, discipline, a process, or habits- rituals, routines in your life to live as you intend to live, not as outside conditions just happen to you, or you make up some other lie about why you can't do what you want to do until you practice that discipline. And that's where my pro athlete kind of orientation kicks in until you can practice that discipline and live it It's just a piece of paper. It's just a list of stuff until you can put it into play and hold yourself accountable to that truth that you say, this is what's most important to me. Well, are you doing it? And that's, man, that takes a lot of time. I mean, think about it. People are like, oh, screw this guy. But that's what works for me. You know, as an addict, I need that structure. That's why I was able to excel as a pro mountain bike racer because I quit doing drugs. I quit shooting up and then five years later, I made this downward progression from, you know, meth down to pot and then quit everything. And then I put all that energy and all that angst and all that focus and all that drive into bike racing and I turned pro and had a great career. One of
0: the, the, the high points from the lows, frankly, I was going to ask the question, well, how long did it take you to create that list? that's irrelevant. relevant. It's what happens after creating a list. How often do you pull that list out and practice and practice and practice for it to become habit and to become useful?
1: You have to practice it. That's your, that's your 10,000 hours. How long yeah. did it take me to develop the list? Well, it varies. You know, the first, the first list of all the things that I was unhappy about. I think I invested four hours to get that spreadsheet started to document my personal life values. Uh, the first go round, it was only like ninety minutes, but I've probably spent a thousand hours refining it. And how often do I pull out every day? I, I glance over my values, but then I read my opus in detail. There's sixty-two items, and it it's a little more street level. I look at it and I kind of pick one thing out that really speaks to me. And then I write it down on my daily to-do list. I have a a structured process of four different lists that I use to to structure my day. But, you know, one of the things you said is what works for everybody. Well, again, first of all, you got to take the time and you got to look deep and you got to go deep and you got to be honest and you got to write it down and you got to structure it in a way that works for you. And then you got to go do it. The first thing is that if you're trying to do something new or different than you've ever done before, so you get a bit a different result. It's got to be a good list. It's got to be a decent plan at least to get you started. And maybe it's not here's what I'm going to do and here's how I'm going to do it and this is the blah 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 blah. But it's here's what I'm not going to do. Here's not what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to do this other thing and try to avoid that other thing. But to me, something that would work for everybody is I have a top three list that I use on a daily basis and it's really high level and I keep a a scorecard on a weekly basis. And here are the top three things I'm going to try to do today. And it's not take a shower, hug my kids, go to work. It's I really need to change the oil in my car. I really need to stretch. I really need to call my sister who I haven't talked to. And it's the hard stuff. It's the stuff that on the hamster wheel, you never make time for. So I write down three things or less. And then I also write down three things or less that I'm gonna try not to do. And I start there. And you're much more likely to get shit done if you focus and if you whittle it down to three or less, then have a list of 40 things. you probably get none done. Right. You you wouldn't get any, you'd probably get none done well. Nothing significant. Right. I've got a buddy I
0: work with. He's an ex Green Beret. He's served his time. So his joke is make a plan, then put it into action. And the shit's going to go sideways. It and inevitably. Always. always. But the point is, like you said, at least start with some sort of structure and know it's a constant iteration. It's a living plan. It's a living document that is going to have tweaks, but as long as you keep following that framework, we're going to need to adjust it here. We're going to need to erase this, but it keeps me going in the direction I want to go. It brings me clarity, if you will. It defines your story versus letting the world
1: define your story. And that's a lie. And that's a lie you know if you if you peel it back and you really look at it and say well my life sucks and there's nothing i can do about it and it's because my dad was mean to me and my mom was never around but then you let it you let it stick to you and it's not easy it's not easy and everybody has their own relative worst thing ever some of my other episodes i'm going to try not to repeat myself but starting out with a plan. That was like my episode 12. We talked about that for an hour. Like my, my co-host, he's like, I don't do plans because it doesn't work. Nothing works. And I'm like, well, you know, let's talk about that. (laughs) So, but, but then also, you know, it's funny you said earlier, a lot of people, some people, you know, some people in our social circle, uh, they've never really experienced deep trauma, but maybe their dog died last year. And that was their worst thing ever. You can't take that away from them. That is trauma. That is pain. And maybe their kid said that they hate him. Well, some people carry that the rest of their lives and they don't let it go. And so to me, there's a lot of things that we intend to do or we think we're going to try to do. And we shoot ourselves in the foot because we're too aggressive with our plan and goals and Metrics that we're say, you know, I'm going to lose 100 pounds in three months. You know, well, is that realistic? And how are you going to do it? That's untruth when we say that kind of stuff. So, it's a balance. But to me, the planning is critical because I know it's going to change. I know at least 70% of my plans going to change but i have to be ready for change because i know it's going to happen absolutely positively without a doubt something's going to change so i try to be prepared and have contingency plans and plan b's and priorities and must do's and must haves and and i try to live with intention instead of letting the world rain down upon me and say my life sucks well I grew up without a mother. I grew up without a father because he was overachieving and went to night school and we just raised ourselves. That's how I became a drug addict when I was 13, you know, and then I dropped out of high school. You know, there's a couple of things kind of stacked up against me, but those things made me a wiser, stronger person because of my experiences. And I learned a lot from them. I finished the 10th grade. I didn't even finish the 11th grade. I never went to college. I started working full-time on my 17th birthday. So there's a lot of experiences that come with that. And I treasure them stronger as a result because I'm being more honest with myself and with the world and with everybody else. And Mm -hmm. certainly with my children. Like, I make no bones about it, dude. And so through truth, I... I'm good. And I am living with intention and purpose. And I'm not stuck on the things that I think are holding me back because there's nothing holding me back. And if there is something holding me back at a slight moment in time, it's me. And so like writing your own story, living your own story, building that list of sentences and paragraphs and chapters that's going to make up, not necessarily your legacy, but what if you did literally write a book with everything, mostly everything you could say and aim it at your children, your two children? That's what I'm doing. Cause I think that's that's the most valuable thing I could ever do in my entire life.
0: I am a little bit speechless because you just so eloquently said what I believe, at least in my heart, I can't speak for everybody, but is one of the reasons why I'm doing this is, is eventually for the, for my kids. Because whatever your story. His story, her story is if you have kids like you and I do, that becomes the the thesis. And to to not take the opportunity to do that. So I commend you, especially Roger, for everything that you've gone through in your story and you put it very well to other people. Everybody has their own pain. It's different levels. You can't take that away. That's their pain, for example. It might be a dog dying versus some of the stuff you've gone through, but teach his own. You can't judge somebody else's level. The fact is owning it, taking care of it, and then the two key things to pass down to the kids, I think that you've said several times now, truth and intention. Truth and intention. As you were talking through that and thinking about the things, the great opportunity you've given I think a lot of us in terms of things that we could do in our own lives some of us it'll work for some it won't but if you just start there and just say hey what's my truth and I want to do it intentionally a lot of us whatever spectrum you're on in terms of the personal pain but also the personal um,
1: triumphs don't let those define you either. You're exactly right. You know, you have those highest highs. Well, that is going to change. I look at all my neighbors. I live in a really nice development. I look at all my neighbors. They're younger than me and they have little kids. And I'm like, half of these people are going to be divorced in 15 years. And everybody's walking around drinking beer, you know, all weekend. And I'm like, yeah, you know, good for you. Because everybody gets to live their own life. And at some point you have to really dig in and you have to figure out what am I going to do? What am I not going to do? Sometimes it's just start there, you know, write down three things that you love doing in your life that you haven't done in a while. Write down three things in your life that you wish you could get rid of. You know, it's not like you're going to take yourself from a negative net a negative personal net worth of negative $100,000 and be a millionaire in two years. But maybe you can stop buying Starbucks so much. If you can break a habit, an old athletic trainer coach said this to me, if you could stop doing something for three days, you kind of break the cycle. And so if you go to Starbucks every single day and then you can take a three-day break, it's not so much of a problem after that. At some point, you have to own the responsibility of your own life, living with intention, living truthfully. So taking
0: ownership, and, and that's the other thing, and I, I don't want people to think, myself included, because as you're talking, I, I sit back and say, hey, pain if we think about it in terms of, it, it's, it's relative. I have not quite honestly experienced the life traumas that you have on a, on a scale. If you, if you pulled a hundred people would pale in comparison. That being said, I think there's almost in some respect, a bigger trap for some of us. It becomes easier
1: yeah, not to we, own it,
0: not to live intentionally, not to, not to own it. Because like you mentioned, I live in a nice neighborhood and we walk around with beers on the weekends and stuff. And that could be worse because you have a Band-Aid on so thick because you've never said, hey, I'm going to sit and be intentional about this.
1: That's the time bombs. It's the time bombs. That's the time, yeah. Like I've had, you know, I've had 12 legit podcast episodes. Number two was my friend Jim Ahern, whose wife died of cancer. He lives right down the street from me. And I said, what's some of the hard stuff in your life? And he goes, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. I've never had a single struggle in my entire life. And then my wife dies. So that was interesting. And then it was like episode number 11, my friend Speedy Pete, who's like a pro level dirt bike racer, two little kids, I'm like, you know, what's some of this hard stuff? He goes, I have never faced any hardship. My parents are alive. I never struggled with drugs. I went to college. I have a great job. I have a great wife. I have two healthy, happy children. I got a huge compound yard with a motocross track and MIG welders and all this stuff. I'm just living the life. But we still had so much to talk about, to your point even for those of us who have never been a drug addict or dropped out of school or had their mother be homeless or lived below the poverty line or keep going. For a lot of people though, Brian, and I know you know this, a lot of people are too busy. They're too busy to help others. They're too busy to share. They're too busy to speak up. They're too busy to try to change. They're too busy to try to live truthfully. They're too busy to stop and write down their life priorities. Like what's the most important thing in your life that you're gonna try to do or not do, right? To me and my son, he's 20. And so he's a junior in college at University of Wisconsin-Madison, double major mathematics and, and computer science. And he took a he's taken psychology a little bit, and we've had this we've had this discussion several times of intention versus result and I'm like, "Who the fuck cares about how it turns out and that's that's a lot of what we're stuck in, and that's what a lot of people get blinded by well, I want to live truthfully and I want to help my neighbors and I want to lead by example. And I want to do good for my kids, and do good for my community, and be the best husband or wife, and be the best son, and 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 brother, sister, blah blah blah. But I'm so stressed out at work, I can't do shit. And when I get home, I drink six beers and I just watch football all weekend. All well, right. are you living with intention, or are you letting these outside forces at work that you think you have no control over? Are you letting them? steer your life, your story, right? And so between me and my son, we've had some very spirited conversations, you know, and with me, it's all intention. Like if I do this, things will add up. And I just spilled my guts, but I had something to say and I don't regret it.
0: Admittedly, I'll say heavy. And I think Roger would say that as well, but I took a lot away from it. And I hope you'll go and take the time to listen to some of the other stuff. And take the time, not because I want you to listen to my podcast, but hopefully you've, you've hung in there this long because I think Roger shared so much of his story, been willing to be vulnerable. We could all take away at least that is, is the vulnerability, the truth, like he's talked about, the intentionality. And I thank Roger from the bottom of my heart. We've known each other for a few weeks and I've just had one of the most fulfilling conversations I've had in years. So from me to you, man, thank thank you for this.
1: Well, thank you because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you being proactive.
0: Thanks again to Roger. Truth and intention. There's such simplicity in a great story. If you'd like to learn more about Roger's toolkit, the Cool Shit Toolkit, and how it might benefit you, go to Roger's website, rogerraybird.com. That's rogerraybird.com. As always, if you care to share Roger's story with someone you know that could benefit from hearing it, or any of the other awesome guests with their own great stories, go to soulcrafttribe.com to share, like, and spread the word thanks again for your support and until next time drive have a great week